listening to JR Out Loud, the podcast for Jewish Renaissance magazine, offering a fresh perspective on Jewish culture. I'm Judy Herman, I'm the host of this podcast, and it's my absolute pleasure tonight to be face-to-face, actually, aren't we, even if it is over Zoom, um, with Josephine Burton. And you're the founder of Dash Arts. You're the director now. I am formerly the chief executive and artistic director. Gosh, gosh. Oh, well, respect. <laughs> you can't see me, but I am sort of curtsying this end. Oh, well, I mean, thank you, thank you. Thank I mean, you very I'll... much received. <laughs> this is a wonderful project that you're doing, incredibly moving, to commemorate... This the 80th anniversary of the massacre, which you're now you're saying Babinyar. I've always said Babinyar. Can you explain? I, you must be right, and me not, presumably. Well, I think technically we're both right. The name is the is a place in the suburb, mm. northern suburbs of Kiev, mm. and uh, the Russian pronunciation is Babinyar. The Ukrainian pronunciation ah. is Babinyar. Right. When it happened under Soviet times, it was it was Babinyar, but it was the ah. Uh, since the since Ukrainian independence, um, where Ukrainian is like the first language in Ukraine, it has been renamed. Ah, right. That's such a help to know that, because I also think a lot of people uh, listening will be wondering that, because um, well, I definitely would go with the Ukrainian um, pronunciation now. I mean, years ago, when we went on when we went on our trip, it was in Ukraine. I'm sure it was. Yes. Yeah. So everybody always said Babi Yar. I, I'm, I think it's very good that they've reclaimed it you know, for their own language, that the Ukrainians, I really do think that. Did you get to go? Have you been there yourself? I have not yet. I've been to Kiev before, mm. but mm. just cause Kiev, not Kiev now, of course. Yes, of the course. Ukrainian way of pronouncing it. Um, <laughs> and, but I have been to Kiev before, and uh, next month we are going with the, with the show, the Songs for Babinyar, to oh. a theatre in Kiev, and we will have a sort of a, a um, ritualistic, uh, trip as a as an ensemble to the Gosh. site in the morning of the show. Gosh. It was really significant to take us as a group there before we before we play the show in in Ukraine. Yes, I think it will. It will probably have an enormous effect on everybody, and maybe even the way they play it. Certainly for a time, I think the pictures mm-hmm. in your head will be so different. Shall I, shall I tell you a little bit about who I'm working with? Yes, because of course. I, I I'm going to ask you that. Yeah. At least one of them has been there already. So what's interesting about this show is that we wanted to work together before we knew we wanted to work about make a mm. show about Babinyar. Mm. And that's partly because um, artistically we were drawn together and uh, we, we, we sort of just, we tried to, we were then searching for the, for the glue, the motivation, mm. the inspiration for us. And then partly because of COVID, because everything was delayed and that delay of almost a year, because we started to talk in 2019, that delay really meant that suddenly there was this 80th anniversary looming on the mm. horizon, you know, as COVID delayed mm. us in a way that it hadn't 22 years ago. So mm. Babinyar became the catalyst and the glue for us as a show, for us as an ensemble. And I'm working with three extraordinary artists, two of whom I've worked with before, Mariana and Yuri and Svetlana, who I've come to work through in, with uh, for this project through an introduction all three are based in germany and all three are from ukraine and mm. um, from different parts of ukraine from lviv mm-hmm. which was lviv yes now lviv yep. um, and um from kharkiv 
I guess that's Kharkov. And <laughs> I'll stop with the Ukrainian Russian thing soon. And yeah. I believe Chernobyl. And yeah. um, the three of them have worked together in different ways, but have never worked together. So this was a real kind of coming together for mm. for the for all of us. And what's gorgeous um, is that is that we are working in a very cross linguistic way. I mean, we're we're supported by by German and Jewish, British and Ukrainian funding. And we're working and we're performing and singing lyrics and songs and creating work in Ukrainian and Russian and Yiddish and Hebrew and English. Wow. And Roma and Roma. Gosh. Um, and occasionally German sneaks its way mm. into the into the rehearsal room. Today I was taught the word for meaningful. Which is what? Meaningful in German. And I wish I could tell you what the word was. But it was, it was just perfect. Perfect on a matter of pure meaning. <laughs> I suppose that when we knew we wanted to make a show about Babinyar, then we then it kind of opened up this Pandora's box of how do we how do we begin to pay tribute to the many lives lost? How do we we can't tell one story? We, we don't really want to work chronologically. There's lots of issues. And then because I'm working with musicians who who bring themselves to the stage in a very different way to actors, they, they don't they're very raw, they're very exposed emotionally. And, and so they, they said to me very, very early on, like, we don't want to be people who go to Babinia. We want to be ourselves telling stories and sharing songs. Mm. And then sort of all of that, plus the fact that we started to uncover amazing archive material, books and extraordinary testimonies, poetry from the time, more recent poetry. And, and, and that really, that sort of our uncovering of material led us to to this decision quite early on that we would create a, a textured mosaic of a performance that would draw on all of those different um, ways in to understand what it was, what, what was Babinyar and what it was to live through it and to die in it. Yes, I, I can't think how you even begin to put this show together. I suppose you begin by pooling your, your skills for a start to see what skills and experience you've got. But um, I don't know, you can tell me. But is it a narrative that you're trying to tell or is it impressions? I mean, you know, if you could describe, obviously the, the music is key, but there's words, there's testimony from survivors, there's all sorts of components, aren't there? Is that right? Yeah, I mean, you're totally right, Judy. Our first encounter was on Zoom last year and we were meant to be together and that wasn't to be. And that encounter, we barely had any music. We just introduced ourselves through storytelling and through our process. And so we started to create a catalogue of, I suppose, music and, and references of who we were, which was really helpful. It was a great sharing process that we did. And then we were going to get together in, in June in Berlin. And I set um, the artist's task to come with music and come with ideas. And many of those ideas and material, poetry, people who we'll talk about in a minute, they brought with them to that space and that almost the first day when we met everything it started to sort of come together but really significantly myself and the dramaturg El Shavit was a really crucial part of the process for us as well we never made it to Berlin because of Covid oh. and so we um had the privilege of watching the three artists in a in Yuri's um front room in his home which is also his rehearsal studio creating work together mm. and um it was it was sort of like being a fly on the wall and occasionally I would sort of intersect and turn the mic on and say, can I just ask you, or can you do that again? Or can you move on? You know, whatever. Mm. But largely, I was just watching them and it was wonderful to see their chemistry and their relationship. And, and that became fairly fast, actually. I realised very clearly that that was going to be the main space of our performance. I wanted to share, 
my own experience of, of, of sort of watching that with the audiences because it was so special. Mm. So the, the main set for our performance is Yuri's living room, which we're bringing to life on the on the stage at JW3 on, oh, on Sunday. How and, wonderful! Um, and it will be into that rehearsal room that we weave um, the material. And so sometimes the artists will step metaphorically step out of the rehearsal room and talk to the audience and say, "I need to tell you about my friend Rahil." And then we will meet Rahil on video. And then Rahil, who is a survivor, she's ninety three. Mm. She was put on a train at the age of 13 uh, by her parents in summer 1941. Her parents were going to follow, but they never did, they never could. And she came back to Kiev uh, two years later, two and a half, three years later, and discovered that they'd all died in Babinga. Mm -hmm. But she, Rachel was extraordinary, and she, she shared her unbelievable story with us. She's part of our rehearsal room. Her voice is part of our rehearsal room. The Skype videos, Skype interviews mm. that we had with her in the rehearsal is part of our show. Oh. And, and the musicians have written music with her voice at its heart. So there's quite a few new songs incorporating um, some of her stories. It's very special, isn't it? Yeah. It is a wonderful thing, not just to catch survivors' stories, but their voices. And mm. I mean, you've been, in, I've been in the room with these wonderful survivors who do seem to survive to a very great age. I mean, 90-something is almost nothing for them, is it, actually? The oldest one I mm. ever spoke to died at the age of 111. But, I, you know, I think it's something yeah. to do with the fire they're moulded in, the way that, you know, that they've been through yeah, so much. I completely agree. Although there is an amazing story, Judy, that we, we thought about sharing in the, in the show. And, and it's one of those classic things when you make a show, when you make a piece of, when you write something and you get, you have this absolutely brilliant idea that you feel, you feel like it's essential for the piece and then it, and you end up realising there's no place for it anymore. <laughs> but um, and I know it's very common, but the, mm. the story that we thought would be central to the piece was that um, Rahil treasured all her life some letters that her father had written to her um, when she left Ukraine for Siberia. Uh, he, he sent letters to her, which she received when she got to Siberia after he, after he died, mm. you know, in, in, you know, in whatever, in September 1941. But these letters were very prosaic. They were like, you know, this is how you survive a Siberian winter. You find the potato, you plant the, the potato should cause this at the mouth, you plant them in the mm. garden and they grow. It was really prosaic, but um, she treasured them all her life. They were like, the, you know, they were sort of, they were her link to her family. And what's unbelievably extraordinary is that the day before uh, we had our first interview with, with her, um, she decided to burn the letters. What? She burnt the letters and then put the letters, um, yeah, and, and just decided, it was amazing. She said, I gave a lot of stuff, my stuff, to, to the Advashem, my father's mm. papers, my, you know, the important stuff she gave away. But she said, no one was going to look after these letters. I mean, there was nothing important to anybody else but her in them. And she just thought no one would really look after them and she wanted to have control of them. So Aww. she decided to get rid of them. And this story was extraordinary. And actually, um, Svetlana subsequently, after we did these interviews, Svetlana subsequently went to Braunschweig where, where she is, where she lives Rachel, today in Germany. And they, they made a really ritualistic ceremony of, of casting these, these ashes into the water mm. and, and saying goodbye to them. And, We've also got photos of that. And we were going to tell the story of that being something to do with Rahil's sort of you know, moving on, some sort of healing for her. But interestingly, Sveta really thinks that um, she's sort of, this process of telling her story and sharing her story, 
much as a modest person mm. is part of some sort of letting go. And actually, you know, Sveta would, would probably say that she believes that Rahil is preparing to kind of leave this world. So oh. she might, hopefully she will live to 120, mm. but this might be one of the great things that she leaves us also yeah. um, in her life. Yes, I, I, I can see why she might do what she did. But when you first said it, I was so shocked when you first shared it. We were yes. so shocked. Mm -hmm. And we were just thought, I can't, you know, if we, there was this terrible moment for Sveta of thinking, if I'd had this conversation two days ago, I could have, yeah. I could have stopped you from burning mm -hmm. those letters. Mm -hmm. I would have treasured them, she even said to us. I would have looked after them for her. And she was very moved by it. it it's interesting, I am, in my other, other non-working artistic life, um, I'm married to a rabbi and he was reflecting to me when I told him the story, him the story that he, he, he knows quite a lot of Holocaust survivors who choose to be cremated and there's something about um, burning and ashes which uh, does something really important psychologically for mm. people who have some connection to that great loss of the Holocaust. So maybe for her it was something like important that. for her to yeah. absolutely deep down subliminally mm. that was there, that she was her control. Yeah. Anyway, we've gone off on the journey. Rahil is amazing. I mean, she, she has exceptional joie de vivre. She's travelled across the Soviet Union. Um, she moved in 91, in her mid-70s, mm. to Germany, uh, where she's also travelled across Europe on buses. She, she's, she's amazing. And yeah. we, I hope, convey some of that great joy and love of life in our show, as well as some of her extraordinary, you know, difficult times that she lived through. Yeah. There are more and more, as survivors become older and older they more and more of them are telling these quite complex stories but they are always somehow positive i mean i know there must be negative survivors but they don't seem to be all the stories that i've ever been told they, they've actually got they've been talking about one of the world service mm -hmm. today where this this, this um, survivor has become a TikTok sensation, and she's really loving that, you know. <laughs> and she obviously is That's in her 90s as well. And her grandson is making it his mission to make sure that he carries on the story and he's there for... I think he helped with the TikTok. Mm. That, of course, is very important, that le door of door, that from generation to generation aspect, yeah. isn't it? Which is partly what you're doing uh, well, with your show. Well, it's totally right. Mm. It's totally mm. right. And I suppose I'll just tell you one, one thing just before I tell you about the generational thing, is that... Mm. Um, you know, whenever Sveta says you're, you're really an important part of our of our show, the words you said really touched us. She's like, but I told you nothing. I said nothing of importance. What do you want to make a show with me about? It was just so incredible, which mm. just makes them even more endearingly gorgeous. Yes, yes. But what is absolutely lovely about our show, and we've got a little hint of it in the piece, is that uh, Svetlana is a recent parent. And when she was interviewing Rachel, her son, is part of the becomes part of the oh. audio recordings from the, from the piece, and um, listening to Rahil's uh, excitement at meeting and seeing Sveta's child, mm. and the kind of the joy and the laughter and the sort of extreme excitement um, is is really palpable and wonderful. And we've kept it because there's such joy in those moments mm -hmm. and of this new life. Yeah, uh, that is really it's really been essential, and it really lifts our piece. We're, we, it's just. We've got it right as we enter the darkness in the show and have this great moment of laughter. I, I think those moments are to treasure. And I think, you know, you do need to react to what's happening around you in the room as you're making a show. And yeah, mm. keep, keep it, you know, why would you not? There is so much we didn't keep. 
that we kept. But I know you did the right thing. As I say, my daughter, having a nine-month-old baby who has actually crawled into the show that she has just done online, and that's, well, I, I mean, obviously I'm biased, I'm, a, I'm, I'm the child's grandmother, but that's one of my favourite moments in the whole show. Hey, <laughs> But it will be everybody's, and it will be life-enhancing. It means the future doesn't it? That's what it means. Yeah. So it's really, really important. Yeah. There are two other bits that we have in our, um, there is so much that we could talk about, but there are two, there are two interesting other pieces to, to, to Babinyar, to our performance of Babinyar, one of which is this other extraordinary text that we, that we're using, which is also the second model is experienced through the eyes of a 13 year old, is a, is a, is a writer called Anatoly Kuznetsov, who wrote a book called Babinyar, I think it was Babinyar, a mm. document in the form of a mm. novel. He was a teenage, a young teenager as war started, uh, a child really, and then he grew up through the war. And he kept a diary in quite episodic form, which he published after the war, but he couldn't publish it in full because it was heavily censored by the mm, Soviets. Of course. And and then he he kept the um, full version. And when he eventually left the Soviet Union and I think came to London, it was published in its full with in different fonts, so you mm. can see. You can see how you know what it what was what was allowed and what was considered ah. problematic, which is an amazing kind of historical documented yeah. time. But um, it's also charming and interestingly, in his book, he tells the story of uh, Dina Ponicheva, who is I think pretty much the only survivor of Babinyar. I mean, she she went into the yard and was hit. She fell into you know she was fell into the yard. She dropped I think into the yard rather than was shot, but she was left for dead and survived and she told that story she told that story unbelievable and it's on the internet when she tells that story that this sort of very deadpan recital in this enormous court when she's giving evidence and and uh, he uses her story which I think is also in Yad Vashem and so it's that that's also been an amazing book but we haven't actually included her uh we we've included a lot of his voice of this child experiencing what it was to live mm. through that time and to hear the shooting because he was living he lived in a house just on very close to, to the yard oh. itself. So he was hit. He talked of hearing the shooting all the time, really peppered his, his experience of the war. So we have quite a lot of his text, which we read in Russian. Oh. Um, and obviously with, we have translated. Yeah. I, I should say that all of the all of the material is that is sung and spoken is in its original language. Oh. So uh, Rachel, Rachel's interviews are in Russian. Uh, Anatoly Kuznetsov's books in Russian. The poetry is in Ukrainian and in Hebrew and in Yiddish. Um, but I'm working with this unbelievable uh, animator and a designer who is creating brilliant animations and captions. So there were projection mapping onto the set so that as an audience member, we will not, it's not gonna be traditional surtitles. We will see really sensitively, beautifully in different fonts in different ways with great backgrounds and moving images we will understand what's being said in really kind of creative ways. So uh, that's that's a big part of our show, really, the animations and the artistic work that's happening around us. Yeah, it sounds as if groundbreaking is not quite enough. You know, I mean, that's a bit sort of mundane, but that's what you're saying. I don't think it's ground, really special. You know, it's, it's special. special. And the other, the other thing I was going to tell you that I think is really interesting, it's really interesting, which is there are three artists. There's, there's Svetlana who grew up, with a Jewish identity of sorts, mm. moved to Israel in 91, became um, interested in Yiddish music and folk music, and then through that journey as a musician, decided to 
trained to be a cantor and she's now a cantor in Germany. Oh, so right. she's been on a really interesting mm. journey to Judaism. Yuri is, has mixed background, Jewish and Ukrainian. And, and Mariana has a Ukrainian, she calls it, I think it's called Pravoslava. It's Russian Orthodox, Ukrainian mm. Orthodox mm. Music, uh, tradition. And she's really interested in excavating and digging out all these old songs from these old church songs. Oh, so and so they have very different worlds behind them, and the worlds that they've brought to the rehearsal room are really different, unusual, and they fit beautifully. And they found songs that seem to be both kind of that come from the Ukrainian church tradition, but but mm. seem to Mariana she, when she brought this song, she's like, to me, it sounds like a niggun. Yeah, well, <laughs> and, and so you know, and, and so and so Svetlana says, I love that song. I'm going to bring it to my synagogue. It's lovely moments of, of these songs, of these moments. But the other thing that we really needed to do with this piece was not to whitewash history. I mean, the artists keep saying we can't manipulate the truth. We have to face and confront our history so that people don't manipulate our memories. And she says that that's Mariana's words, and she will say it on Sunday night. And she says it because she's so conscious of that happening, particularly in the former Soviet Union, particularly with mm. this enormous oh, yes. feeding of propaganda right now, yes. that we get. Yes. And so she really feels that we need to talk, and that means talking about collaboration and talking mm. about you know Ukrainians mm. as perpetrators as well as victims. Mm. And she's not been afraid, to, and we've gone in quite deep. She's incredibly brave incredibly brave we, we did a little sharing of the show last week in in berlin and it was to the kind of the great and good of the kind of ukrainian intellectual scene who were all in berlin for mm. conference could i just oh. say um we have inexplicably given the date we've got fireworks at the 17th of november they are many days out aren't they but oh, I just celebrating I thought, something. I mean, well, as the windows are shut, there's not a lot I can do about it. It's not got, shooting in the yard. No, quite. Well, it's just when you said it, you were saying something which could have sounded like an, a horrible sound effect. I just wanted to say to anyone listening, <laughs> I can't control them, and um, <laughs> we'll just have to keep going because we don't fine. know how long they're going to go on. It's but totally that's fine. What they are. And, I, and I was telling you that um, we're having a drink afterwards with some of these these interesting Ukrainian individuals who were reflecting to Mariana how important it was to address these issues and not hide from them and to call them to say, you know, well, I am Ukrainian and my people were guilty of collab, you know, they're in pursuit of independence from the Soviet Union because of all the terrible things that had Stalin had done to our country. We collaborated with the Nazis. Yeah. And she really wants to address it, and it's going to be amazing to say it. I mean, it'll be brilliant, and it will be strong and powerful in London. It will be extraordinary in Ukraine when we're in Kiev next month. So when you do it in Kiev, will it be exactly the same? Will the language be the same because, or not? Good question, Judy. It's a great question. So so all of the moments that are in English will be in Ukrainian, mm. basically. That's the big mm. difference. And my extraordinary multilingual performers will all seamlessly, <laughs> having learnt the script in English, will transition into Ukrainian. Yeah. Sveta is not a Ukrainian speaker. She's a Russian speaker. She understands Ukrainian. So I don't yeah. think she will be doing it necessarily in, in, in Ukrainian. But we are also, which is kind of amazing, for political reasons, I think, translating all of the Russian into Ukrainian. Yeah. That does sound like a political decision at the moment, quite an important one, doesn't it? I mean, how do you feel and how do your cast feel about the current tense situation there is said to be on the border, and I'm sure it is, it's happened before. Yeah, it's really, there was just a moment in the rehearsal room yesterday when 
someone was in the room and she said, I hear, I hear the troops and massing by Don, you know, by Don Bass. But I mean, I, I don't, to be honest, it, it, it has been now um, eight years. It's 2014, so whatever it is, I'm not, I, can't remember, I can't do math, seven years, and the country has been at war for seven years. All of them, I mean, certainly Yuri and Mariana have been working with, on artistic projects that have been supporting and working with young people who are living in the Donbass mm. region through music and theatre and providing kind of opportunities for them, mm. to, for them to express themselves and to be engaged in something positive and meaningful and Yuri's got some amazing stories and one of the things that we thought about having as part of our show was to bring it right up to date and to talk about what it is to now to, to be living you know to be thinking about being Ukrainian and Russian in these times but I think the contemporary resonance is there without mm. being waved flags at it hangs there in the world you would say that it's implicit it doesn't have to be explicit yeah, it's just yeah. there. Yeah, yeah, it's just there. Yes. So I just wanted to know the actual shape of the show. So it's a lot of continuous narrative, clearly. So how does the music work? I mean, actually, it'd be quite interesting to talk through. I know you've been very helpful saying you know, how eclectic the music is, but what instruments do your three wonderful cast members play? We will have in the room all well, three voices and an acoustic guitar and an electric guitar and a mini, like a small keyboard and lots of electronics so yuri is a dj so yuri is doing some djing DJ, as well and, but djing was existing material so he's not like it's not a dance party but, no 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 I wasn't although we've got a few fun they've got some nice beats so there isn't a there isn't a formal narrative but mm. we we've split it into three acts it's a show of three acts mm. our first mm. act uh, it's, it's, it introduces us to all the leading all the key characters in our piece which include our three artists themselves and the material they've brought with them and their personal relationships with the three with the material that they've brought and why mm-hmm. and then our second act is really the darkest place it's when we go into the yard ER itself i mm. suppose in a in sort of metaphorical sense it, it's the time when we have the darkest conversations and one of the songs which takes us on our journey is a hasidic nigun which was Written by Anski for the Dibbuk. Oh, so, uh, yes. And it's Mipne Mar is the song. And he, he asks, why does the soul go down to the deepest depths in order to climb? It needs to go down in order to climb out yeah. I and ascend to great heights. I wish this was video because you judged the most beautiful movement with your hand going down into oh, the depths and coming back I up. Went into the yes. R and out again, yes. yeah. And actually that shape is really um, a, a shape that comes up in a lot of our work mm. on our set. We've built a, a set behind us so that, uh, which will form a silhouette of the R and... Um, mm. It's made out of boxes. Yeah. Our, our projectors, screens, into which we're project, projecting stuff, is got boxes. But we'll look beautiful, and the yar will be present in our piece. But it, it's the, it's that song Mip Neymar that takes us into the yar, and it will be Mip Neymar that will take us out again at the end. What's the precise translation of yar and indeed of bubbin then? God, you'd, ha- you'd have to probably ask a, a, a Slavic speaker, but yar is, I believe, a ravine. That's what I thought, but I just thought I should and, ask you. And, I, yeah. and Babi, mm. Babin is the place where it's the place are. where the ravine is. I mean, having looked, having been there and looked down I'm, I was assuming it was I've probably told at the time and forgotten about it I mean it's now a park you can't look down anywhere anymore it's sort of all lay it's all I well I will tell you when I'm there but mm. having seen a lot of photographs it's mm. just a park with lots and lots of memorials spread there out liberally are, around the area I remember the memorials and our rabbi who was leading the trip that we were on he did a small service that he prepared and we did have some Ukrainians with us as well 
And we did go to Kharkiv because uh, one of the rabbis was actually in Kharkiv at the time and he was being a rabbi in Kharkiv. He's the one who then went to went as a rabbi in the Crimea and for obvious reasons he had to leave the Crimea actually uh, undercover. He had to leave the, 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 the Crimea and he's now in Slovakia. We went to his wedding. We went to his wedding in the Crimea in happier times which was a totally yeah. memorable occasion, as you can imagine. It, yeah. It's extraordinary to look back on the history of that whole area. And I know what you said about the guilt of Ukrainians, but you can so understand why they did what they did, You know why they might think Nazi Germany would be their salvation, because Stalin was the most terrible thing. They talk about being caught between a rock and a hard place, and they so often have been, haven't they? I mean, it's not a question of whether they're Jewish or not. It's a question of how difficult life can be, how precarious. And that's the the moment where we brought her out today and how, you know, this sort of victim versus Nazi narrative is, is held up against them. It's, it's played today, isn't it? By, yes. By people trying to, trying to set off sides against each other. I completely agree. I completely agree. And we, we do it very sensitively. I mean, it's really important for Mariana to, to name that Stalin's aggression and the purges, but also the um, the famine, the Holodomir, which mm. was the unbelievable famine that ravaged Ukraine and killed millions in the early 30s. Uh, and I just have this really, I mean, I had some extraordinary conversations as part of our research. I mean, I remember telling, talking to somebody earlier in the year who said, you know, the Nazis absolutely exploited these tensions that sort of pre-existed mm. in Ukraine between the Ukrainian communities and the Jewish communities, because the Jewish communities had so few opportunities in the pale of the settlement before before communism, before before the Bolshevik Revolution. And suddenly there was this great opportunity with communism for Jews to work, to go to university, there were no quotas anymore. It, you know, it was just extraordinary flourishing of opportunities, and many of them joined the Communist Party as a result. And then Ukrainians had this great opportunity for independence, which was quashed by, you know, as Stalin, you know, iron, raised his iron fist on, on the land in the late 20s. And then there was the famine. And then there was the purges. And so the Nazis exploited it. They, you know, they, they knew what they were doing. They did it all over Europe. Yeah, yeah. Those tensions were existed. And then they made ridiculous promises to the Ukrainians about languages and money and independence, which they couldn't deliver. We are a sort of privileged generation, aren't we? You know, I'm obviously I'm older than you, but those of us who've sort of look back to our parents who lived through the Second World War and we meet people, we've met people like your wonderful survivor and then we've lived through such extraordinary times. I don't know where we're going now, but it's Bob Dylan would just say the times they are changing, I guess, but it's so important to document. What you're doing is very important, you know, to bridge so that, so that the future generations have got something to pick up on. Yeah, I think so. And this show is really... It's a special, special show, and all of my artists are really keen that we get to tour it properly, that we take it to mm. Germany, we take it across Ukraine, that we take it across Europe. Yeah. We do more than one show in London. It'll come back next year. I was going to ask you, what, what are your hopes for this show? I think you can pretty well answer that now. But also, I'll just finish by asking you then a question that goes with that, which is what, what do you want your audiences to take away, do you think, to get from the show? I want them to have a, a moving and powerful evening. It's really easy to get bogged down in the in the horror and the stories and the sadness and not be transported by the pure extraordinariness, extraordinariness of, the, of their of their artistic talents and the music, the 
just so exquisite, so beautiful that they're playing. And I do think the music can take you to different places and uh, bring some lightness as well as take you, escort you into the darkness. So it won't be a joyously kind of lighthearted evening, but it, it, I really want people to go away kind of lifted from the possibility of what music can do to take you and lead you out to dark places. I think that's a beautiful place to end. That really is beautiful words that you've just coined there, Josephine. Thank you. So, Josephine Burton, I want to thank you so much for sparing me time, particularly right in the middle of this busy rehearsal schedule, um, to talk to me, to talk to me for Gerard Mm -hmm. Loud, for Jewish Renaissance. I can't wait for Sunday. I'll be there. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I look forward to seeing you in the audience. God bless you then. Thank you. Thank you very much. Bye. You've been listening to JR Out Loud. For more podcasts and info about our events, magazine and features, head to jewishrenaissance.org.uk.